welcome to NHASCD Spotlight. It's our podcast from the New Hampshire Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. My name is Bill Carosa, the Executive Director. A reminder, we have a K-8 big math conference coming up on March 22nd of 2024. It's featuring Steve Linewan, Kristen Hilty, Graham Fletcher, Carolyn Worcester, and Kevin Mahoney. Again, March 22nd, you can register for this event and you can go right to nhascd.org to do that. Well, our guest today is someone I've known for many years and who might be rather uh, taking a nap right now, although she told me she just did a long bike ride, so she's fine. It's Cindy Dunlap, a name synonymous in New Hampshire with technology and schools for decades. She just got done uh, leading the Krista McAuliffe Teaching and Technology Conference uh, in Manchester. Before I hit record, we reminisce a little bit about the old days and and both of us uh, go back a few years in education. And I didn't realize originally Cindy was going to be uh, an elementary educator, but she ended up being a special ed teacher in middle schools, both at, at Wyndham and Merrimack School District. Uh, Cindy holds a master's degree in education and instructional technology from Lesley University. She worked at Ceresk and it was great to hear that you piloted some early IEP software using, and this made me feel good, using Apple IIs, which I began with an Apple IIe back in 1984. So it brought back great memories using Print Shop and Apple Works and Bank Street Writer. And there's probably like three people listening that know what I'm talking about right now. Then uh, Cindy worked for 20 years with the Center for Educational Leadership and Technology. I'd love to talk more about that. It's a consulting firm partnering with school districts, governmental agencies, professional organizations like ASCD. She has been and remains a consultant. And really uh, what we're mainly talking about today, she's been the driving force behind the work of NISTI, the New Hampshire affiliate of the International Society of Technology and Education. Cindy is currently the president of NISTI and the chair of the Krista McAuliffe Technology Conference. And again, this is Friday the 1st. We're recording this. It may actually drop tonight if I can get this all done in time. And you just got done with four days of what I thought was a really successful conference. I was glad to be there a couple of days. Cindy, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I have enormous respect for you, as does New Hampshire educational community. You're one of these people, like if you had to, I don't know, mention 10 people in the state that work in education, your name would come up all the time. Probably number one when it comes to technology. Uh, I don't even know where to begin exactly. Let's begin with you a little bit. Um, before we hit record, we talked about uh, your background. You thought you were going to be an elementary education teacher, and really you never went down that road. You went to middle school and quickly became a guess you could say a technologist, a technology consultant. Uh, talk about what got you into education. What what sparked that early flame for you? Well, my um, my undergraduate degree was an L-Ed special ed double major. And um, at my majority of my undergraduate was at AIC in Springfield. And <laughs> they had the uh, one of the first learning centers for children with learning disabilities. And I did a practicum there, and that's sort of what hooked me into um, this is the audience that I want to work with. So um, my first job was working with children with emotional handicaps in Massachusetts for two years, setting up a brand new program that was a substantially separate program for students that had not weren't quite able yet to be in the classrooms. But our goal was to get them uh, mainstreamed back into the schools, and then um, middle school. I loved middle school students, and I don't know that they're the same, but middle school students used to be uh, mature enough that they had a great sense of humor, but they still were a little bit interested in what adults had to say. So I, I was, I had a resource room in both Merrimack and then uh, two years in Wyndham in their middle school program. 
um, working with kids, getting them into their classroom and, and functioning as effectively as they could in the mainstream. And then I knew it was time to start looking at a master's degree. And I right. interviewed on the same day at Harvard and Lesley University. Harvard quite honestly told me that they did not want to become a training ground for teachers in technology. Leslie College had the whole program laid out. Nancy Roberts embraced me and said, you're the type of candidate we want here. And it's history. Did you consider in the early days, because you had a technology bent and a special ed background of using assistive technology? Because there really wasn't a lot of AT in those days anyway. Well, the one of the first jobs that I got after my degree was working at Ceresk piloting right. the IEP software. Right. Um, and at that point in time, there was a little bit of use of where you could, because you could get into the Apple IIEs, inserting the um, firmware cards so that you could connect adaptive devices. It was one of the few um, computers, microcomputers at the time where you could get inside and, and add in the firmware that was needed to add the assistive technology devices. We did a little bit of that at Ceresk, um, but not a ton. Yeah. I remember in 1996, I was a brand new principal, a young guy. And I looked at the special ed field and thought, wouldn't it be great to make this digital? Because, you know, in 96, the internet was new. People had PCs and the state was actually okay with that. But I don't think anything was really happening. Uh, obviously, the worry was confidentiality, but now just about everything's digital. We, I mean, we even send, you know, PDFs via email of IEPs, which always scares me a little bit. But did, did some of your work lead to what we kind of use today for IEP software? Hey, that's a very good question because the, the learning system software we used was a group out of Cambridge. Um, and um, I, I think that if anything, at the very least, it opened the door to some of the privacy issues, some of the concerns that school districts had about if you come to the table at a meeting with parents and you have something that looks like it's already done, do parents still feel like it's a participatory process? A great point. Um, and so changing the paradigm shift that, no, this is just a working document. because Just because it's printed, which used to look very permanent to people, to change right. their mindset that just because it's printed, no, all we have to do is go change this and we can print it again 10 more times as much as we need to and, and letting yeah. the parents know that it was still participatory just because it came out on a piece of paper and it looked like it was typed. And most people thought if, you know, if a paper was typed and you needed to change something, you had to type the whole thing over again and, and changing that mindset and knowing that when they moved to a, a more sophisticated IEP software system, that they needed one that required the state data, but every district wanted to put it on the paper in a different way. Um, right. And that was one of the driving factors as to the reason we used the software we did. There was a lot of flexibility for each individual district, whether they wanted it portrait, whether they wanted it landscaped, whether, whether they wanted to put the name on the right or the left. Um, everybody was so accustomed to doing it their own way and having their own forms that our goal was to try and um, make the process easier, not harder, and and just let them use the efficiencies that the technology afforded without trying to change their processes. So then you worked for 20 years for CELT, the uh, Center for Educational Leadership and Technology. Uh, what was that like? You know, two decades, you obviously learned a lot. And and good gosh, uh, the changes in technology in, the, in those two decades was massive. That was a span of um, starting with working with small school districts, large school districts, uh, working at the state departments, we went through the goals 2000, where every uh, state in the nation had to have yep. an approved tech plan. I think CELT helped 
25% of the states in the nation get their plans up and running. Um, then the Department of Education required technology plans. CELT created an online tool for the state of Ohio um, to help their districts create those approvable technology plans. Um, and so those were years of just watching what's what's the spectrum like? How can we get out there? CELT's role was to go out and um, working at the leadership level, but also making sure the impact was felt at the classroom level to bring integration into the school. Some of it was integration workshops for classroom teachers and others was training with superintendents on what you should be learning about. Um, so I worked in, oh, probably, I'd say at least 30% of the, the states in the nation and large dis school districts, large and small, private schools in Buffalo, New York, and Los Angeles Unified um, School District. We did their tech plan like for 10 years. We did it three years later. We revised it three years later. We revised it again. Um, probably the biggest district, one of the biggest districts in the nation, Broward County, Florida. We had a number of engagements with them, helping them to get their integration, get their processes down. Um, and uh, we had a team that worked on their disaster recovery plan, and they had finished it up in the fall of when the next hurricane season came, and it wiped out the SAU building, the front when you saw in the news, the um, pictures of the air, um, I think it's the right building um, in Florida, and the front half was destroyed. But because of the disaster recovery plan, they were back up in running That's for great. 24 hours. So it was nice to see some of the work that your team had done. So it, it was a great learning experience. We worked in the uh, United Arab Emirates, helping them um, try and develop resources so that their public schools could offer the same kind of resources that their private schools were. Um, so it's it, it was a fascinating journey. So we're moving fast through history here, but we yes. bring us to the fact that this is the 37th annual Krista McAuliffe Conference. I, I'm not even sure what to call it anymore. Originally, it was the Krista McAuliffe just technology conference, right? When did you start getting involved? And if you could just go through some of the history, which is fascinating to me. Okay. I, I have did a little homework last night. I have copies <laughs> of conference programs going back to 1986. Wow, And that first conference was run by the New Hampshire Association of Computer Educators Statewide. That was New Hampshire ACES. Um, and it was and and that program says it was the fifth annual computer and education conference. The theme computers across the curriculum. It was two days at the center of New Hampshire, Manchester. It's funny. It comes around, goes around. Same hotel. Yeah. Um, in 1992, the annual technology conference and trade show, as it was called then, moved to the Sheraton Tower in Nashua. It was hosted by NISTI and NHSAA. And this began the partnership between NISTI, which was the ed educators group, and NHSAA, which the administrators group. And that was a win-win. In 1994, what was called the trade show was renamed to be the Krista McAuliffe Technology Conference in memory of our teacher in space who perished in the, that shuttle tragedy in January of 86. And that was the year when Dorinda Gibney, a um, technology educator in Merrimack, was the 1994-1995 Krista McAuliffe Fellow. Right. And that sabbatical year, she worked with a bunch of ed educators across the state um, to help them effectively integrate technology on a daily basis into their classroom. And at the end of her sabbatical, she was looking for a way to highlight the accomplishments of this group and we said, rather than trying to run a separate event where she knew she could get a lot of people, she she approached the committee and said, 
can we highlight these educators at the conference? And so we did. It was 53 Pioneers was that first year, and that's the beginning of those McAuliffe presenters. Wherever teachers in our program are presenting, we put a star beside their name. After that, we sought permission from Grace Corrigan, Krista's mom, to incorporate Krista's name into the conference. Not only did she approve, but she came to our conference for many years, um, welcomed teachers, shared with them how, how important it was to continue Krista's vision and her mission, and thanked everybody for being there. Um, we do have a video that we produced in Grace's with Grace's cooperation back in 2012, and that's the video that's right on the homepage of the um, website. So that gives a little bit of the history. Um, it's interesting to note that in 2010, we've moved to Manchester as we had outgrown the space. Um, in 2011, we stopped setting up the Mac and the Windows PC labs because now everybody came with a device. Right. Um, and in 2018, we actually expanded the name to what it is now, the Krista McAuliffe Transforming Teaching and Technology Conference to reflect the changing landscape. That now it, it's not the technology, it's how we're using it. It's how we're using it to transform teaching. It's it's the whole, it's the underpinnings of what is happening in, in society in, in general. Um, in 19, in 2019, we went totally digital with the program of events, reduced the full on-site conference to two days. Obviously, in 2020, we all had to go virtual, postponed the conference until 21, and, and appropriately named it Shifts Happen. Um, mm-hmm. And since then, since 2020, we've been offering some kind of hybrid version. So that just kind of shows how even the technology and the changing times have forced changes in CMTC. I, I want to get into this year's conference, but looking back at the many years you've been involved, what do you think are the some memorable speakers, memorable events uh, at CMTC? Well, memorable and, and best is hard to define. I've maintained yeah. a chronology that goes back to 1992 and David Thornburg, which many people hearing this podcast will not remember. He was a true ed tech pioneer And the keynote, he had a a morning and an evening keynote. We could use the titles today, Integrating Technology into the Curriculum, Global to Local, Shifting the Vision, the Next Phase of Educational Technology. There is nothing outdated about either of those. The the content would be different, but the titles of those, um, I think it would be best to say, what are some of my favorite speakers? And and the favorites, all of our speakers have always presented thought-provoking messages. But a few of our keynote speakers come and really become part of our conference community. And some of those, uh, the year we had Rushton Hurley and Ken Shelton, I believe it was uh, 2014, they both came. They were both there for three days. They went to our our presenter sessions. I had people coming up to me and saying, Ken Shelton was in my session. And they're like, people were so impressed that they wanted to chat with people. They wanted to understand where they were at. They wanted to know how they could help. How did their presentations help? Um, In a like fashion, um, Adam Bello and Steve Dembo. Um, Adam did the closing keynote at ISTE one year, and we we all wanted him, but we knew at that time he was commanding like $15,000 for his keynotes. And and I just said to Adam, "When, when we can afford you, come back and let us know. And so we worked out a deal where Adam and Steve came for the two days and they each did an individual keynote. And on the third day, they combined their keynote. So we got 
three keynotes out of two people. And, and that was a way to economize and get him for a price that we could afford here in New Hampshire. And the two of them engaged. They, they joined our social events. They mingled with our attendees. And that was in 2017. And I think this year we had a very similar situation. Caitlin insisted on being there for all two days on site. Um, she made a real personal connection with so many of the people that she was chatting with. She was explaining to me how the book sales weren't so much for selling the books is that she wanted an opportunity to engage in personal conversations with the people who resonated with what she had to say. Um, right. And I think Craig, Craig was just, he was so much part of our community to begin with. And Craig was a test to see whether we could do a, a local talent and have um, him be as well received as our national and regional talents were. And, and I was so impressed with Craig's all of his presentations, but his keynote just knocked it out of the park. You could tell how emotional he was that he was asked, Ugh. but he he put he couldn't have made us prouder as as our New Hampshire, one of our homegrowns. Yeah, I mean, I, I was there for that, and I felt like, and I didn't know Craig well. I knew of him, especially through people who work in his his community uh, locally. But if you um, didn't know you could think this dude was a national speaker he was he was excellent and the thing i always look for in workshop presenters is it a nice combination of entertainment of lightness and content because you too much of one or the other you, you you're disappointed i think if you get just you know a powerpoint uh, bullets that's no good and if you just have a guy you know playing the clown for two hours that's not good either you know he just really had a nice sense of humor i uh, and, and the emotion at the beginning, I, it was really nice. And his mom was there and, you know, it was, it was definitely a good feel moment, but he knows his stuff. No doubt about it. He does. And and you could see his passion, his passion for wanting to help people, his passion for um, being so proud of being asked to do what he was asked to do and, and how well he did it. It was, you know, I, I like to think that I had some small part in nurturing him as part of the ed tech community to get him where he is. And, and I shared that with him in a, a private personal note we sent today. He yeah. thanked us and we thanked him yeah. right back again. Yeah. Well, and that's some of the reason why you're kind of, uh, I hate to use the word legend, Cindy, because that makes you sound old or something, but that's the advantage of having someone like a Cindy Dunlap who has been dedicated to New Hampshire for so long. Well, in Massachusetts, a little bit, right? I suppose that, uh, you know, we, we appreciate that so much. You know, as someone who in in my job with NHASCD, I'm always concerned about attendance numbers and, you know, professional development and, and what our, our members, what the New Hampshire educational community needs. It was really nice to see, and in talking to Deb Bover of, of NISTI, that the numbers were kind of up this year. It looks like maybe, I hate to say the worst is over, but COVID really made things difficult. And this year, is, it, it's hard with subs and that sort of thing. Were you encouraged by the numbers? I mean, lunchtime was, the place was packed. It was so nice to see it. I think the vibe is back. Um, over the many years that we've had keynote speakers who have spoken at conferences around the world, and I can't tell you how many times they have told me that they have felt the specialness of CMTC. Um, and I explain this as the community that Krista's memory inspires. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's part of our history. It's part of our DNA. Um, and I think that pre-pandemic vibe of excitement and community is back. Um, yes, the substitute issue is going to be a continuing problem. Yeah, We'll continue to work to try and I think the offering the virtual piece is part of our um, attempt 
to help combat that, that we know people who can't get out of the classroom still need to hear information that's being shared. Um, it's not as good virtually. You don't get the camaraderie, you don't get the networking, but you can still get the content. So that's, that's I think, as much as it adds another layer of complexity to um, the organization of the conference, at this point, we still feel it's worth that extra effort. Um, and I think the other thing this year is there are watershed moments in education. The internet was one, and as you pointed out, um, as we were preparing for this, I think perhaps the potential and the challenges presented by AI are also fueling this fire of community and the need for collaboration. And I know we were a lot, I, I know there are people there that went to every session that was offered on AI because that's where they knew their pain point was, whether they right. were responsible for bringing information back to their school and district leaders, whether they felt they needed to be more prepared to start training their, their teachers with the possibilities and the pitfalls. Um, so we've got some things working for us. And yes, I do hope we're, we're, we're growing back. I, I'm hoping that the, um, the challenges of the, the pandemic and, and the, you know, we lost so many of our paraprofessionals during COVID. And those were a lot of the support staff that helped when the shortage of substitutes became an issue. And so we've got to build that um, audience back again. And that's going to take time. Yeah. It, it's funny. The joke around the podcast for a long time was that we have to mention COVID in every single podcast in some capacity. It seems like now uh, I'm mentioning AI because uh, it, it relates to almost every aspect of what we do, but we don't have to go down that road. We've had, we've had quite a few shows right on, on, on AI as well. So if you look at the future of CMTC, I, I just, I'd like to think it's going to go another 37 years and I don't know why it wouldn't. Do you think it has to grow a little bit or well, obviously it's already changed quite a bit. What's your vision? Do you think? Um, my vision is that it will continue to evolve to meet the professional learning needs of the multiple audiences we serve. I think one of the primary factors, and it's a blessing and a curse, that makes CMTC unique from all other state professional learning experiences is we bring the district and school leaders, technology specialists, classroom practitioners, library media specialists, and even paraprofessionals together in one place to learn from each other, to listen to each other to understand the respective perspectives and priorities of each of those different audiences, and then to discuss the big problems that require a village to find effective solutions. There are, there are things that people heard about AI over the past week that every voice had to hear the same message to understand what their role was in helping to bring this potential to fruition and to mitigate the challenges. And it's so much easier when they're all in the same room together and can hear each other's perspectives and each other's concerns. Um, we talk about that it's important that our schools, schools now provide a lot of school-based professional learning. And that's good because it's right where the teachers are located. It doesn't require different space and time, but that can become a vacuum. And you can't learn, you will only learn what's in your confined area. And if you don't reach out and go beyond those boundaries, which CMTC allows us to go beyond those boundaries, 
But if the superintendents are learning in their vacuum and the teachers are learning in the vacuum and the principals are learning in their vacuum, there comes a point in time when we all have to be in the same room learning about the same things and figuring out how we're going to address them in a unified fashion. And that to me is one of the mainstays of CMTC. We just have to figure out how to continue to do that because when you have a conference that's addressing the needs of five tiers of audiences, it presents that challenge of finding a keynote that can address, you know, when I speak to our keynotes and prepare them for their audience, we're saying, if you're in your concurrent sessions, you can really hone in on a particular target or a particular topic, but your keynote has to have something of value in it from everyone, from the superintendent in the class, in the, the room, to the paraprofessional in the room. And that's a that's a big ask of some of our um, keynotes. A lot of them says, yeah, that, that is a challenge. And it is a challenge providing the programming. So I think the partnerships that we have evolved to include your organization, the Principals Association, New Hampshire CTO, and the fact that we've always partnered for, for as long as I can remember with um, the, the Superintendents Association, um, that is, has been partly what the beauty. So the key is just going to keep figuring out how do we evolve, how do we make face-to-face -face events like this cost-effective so we can continue to offer the best um, and still um, make it worth the, the effort that it takes to make it all happen. And I would argue that the CMTC may be the most inclusive conference, in, certainly in New Hampshire and maybe even in the Northeast. Um, you know, we partner with NHSAA on some things, certainly uh, the Principal Association, our math conference with New Hampshire Teachers of Mathematics. You know, back in 92, NISTI and NHSAA got together. So you've kind of, your organization, NISTI especially, and you in particular, Cindy, have figured out that we, we're a whole lot stronger together than we are um, separate. And we all really have the same goals anyway. We do. If you look at the heart of all of our organizations, we're all the spokes in a wheel and the students are in the middle. Right. No That's our primary it. audience. Um, and so... We, we all have specific concerns. We all have specific roles to play. But the bottom line is the students are our primary target. Yeah. Uh, during lunch before Craig's presentation a couple of days ago, I was sitting with Deb Bovier, who I I taught with years ago in Deerfield. Mm -hmm. and, and how hopefully as you decide to maybe give up a little bit of this, there's someone waiting in the wings. But the reality is you've got a lot of years left, I'm sure, to run the organization and to do other things. So what's your future as, as a, a tech leader or a supporter of, of CMTC, do you think? Well, I'm, I'm just going to turn that question around and, and place, why do I do what I do? Yeah. Um, and I, I have been blessed. I have a husband and children and family who have supported me in what I do. Um, I have had a profession that has been rewarding, that keeps me challenged. I'm not one of those people that can just stop. I, I will continue learning no matter what stage of my life. Um, and I feel that each of us in some way is called to give back to the greater good. And, and this is my way of giving back to the greater educational community in New England and beyond. Um, I believe the legacy of a person should be viewed from the perspective of what we give back, not what we have accumulated during our lives. And as long as I can wrap a good team around me that does the hard work to make this happen, I'll keep doing it. Any advice for new educators? Uh, you've seen a lot of change, as I have. Uh, any thoughts of words of wisdom from Cindy Dunlap? Well, I think I would 
echo what we have heard from our speakers over the past week. Um, I think Caitlin made it really clear that part of your plan as an educator, given the stressful environment that we live in, the additional pressures of social media, of parents, of exaggerated communications, is to make sure that you maintain the ability to keep an eye on your own wellness, plan time for your own mental health. Um, and then I think the other piece that it, the one of the core ways of doing that is to find your community. Find the people we need to do, we need to work smarter, not harder. Mm. And I think we've seen that generative AI is going to provide educators with a lot of time saving resources. They're not going to eliminate, we don't, we don't want it to eliminate the hard work of teaching, but I think there's, you know, the hours that we spend butzing with uh, presentations, we can now have um, Canva get the, the good stuff in there. And then all we have to do is tweak it. I mean, right. find your, find your community, find your people, find your like-minded individuals, whether it's a science group, whether it's your social studies, find your, your, and, and, and within that curriculum area, find the people who think like you do, and they don't need to be in your school. Um, we offer the listserv for the digital learning specialists through NISTI. Um, if, if the, if there's a call for another listserv for NISTI for another group of people that's not being offered by their respective, um, professional association, whether it's the math teachers or the science teachers, we're more than happy to just open up that tool so people can use it. Um, so I think we need to continue to let people know they're not alone. Even if they don't think they have them, someone in their building, um, find someone who, who you can connect with virtually. That's, that's so easy these days. Um, and I think we heard the message loud and clear from both Craig and Caitlin. If you're in an environment and you don't feel like you're being listened to and you don't feel like you're being valued in the way that you should, as an educator today, you've got the ability to go someplace where you can find that kind of nurturing, supportive environment. So don't feel like you're stuck. You know, I, I would say those are my top three is, you know, focus on your own wellness throughout the journey, find your, your people, find your support system, and make sure you're in a place where you feel valued and respected and heard. And with those three support structures in place, a new teacher should be able to thrive. And, and grow and, and, and become, you know, one of those great teachers that we need working with our kids. Oh, so well said. Uh, Cindy, how do our listeners uh, learn more about your work, CMTC and, and NISTI? Um, we spent time this year, despite everything else that was going on, launching a brand new website. So um, we've gotten some good positive feedback on that. So our our URL has stayed the same throughout the years. It's nhcmtc.org. Um, so information on all of this year's conference, we, we sort of have a phased event. And right now we are moving where we will change a little bit of the content to reflect post-conference information. But what's on the website right now will stay probably through February, pretty static. And then we will start phasing in new content, announcing our new keynotes. Um, we always have a feature on our, it's it's now under quick links on the new website where you can go back to last year's website and you can look at sessions. Um, as far as getting content, um, even if you didn't attend CMTC and you didn't register, 
when you look at the program and you look at the session listings, if people see a picture of a, a link with a globe, that is a link that takes you to resources that the presenter of that session has made available. And it's it's you don't have to have been registered. That's something that's open to anybody who wants to go in and poke and look at the resources. Um, I know Ken Weeks put in all the current state official documents regarding AI and the state's guidelines. Um, so those are available to anybody. You don't have to have been registered. Um, as far as the work that NISTI is doing, we are looking at making this a year of regeneration as well. We're going to be posting a lot of new professional learning events. We're going to try a bunch of things and see what they stick and what sticks. We're just going to keep on growing. Um, and the NISTI website is just uh, www.nhste.org. Um, and we encourage anybody who's interested in being on the steering committee, being on a subcommittee, if there's anybody who wants to play any kind of role um, in the the support of CMTC, um, we welcome bringing people, new people in, uh, nurturing them, providing them, you know, the more people we can get in there that know how the, the underpinnings of CMTC works and all the pieces um, eventually, those of us who are old are going to want to um, face out even more. Um, we'll need new IT support. We we have students that come from Pinkerton, but unfortunately, those go through the cycle where I made sure of our three IT students this year. Two of them were seniors, but one was a junior. And I told him he had to come back next year <laughs> and teach the the new the ropes to the new kids that would come. And he was like, sure, I'm ready for it. Um, so I, I, we embrace engagement. So anyone who, um, when you come to that point in your life, and I know we all hit it at different times due to family commitments, due to aging parents, due to illnesses, everybody has a story and everybody's dealing with a unique circumstance. But I think most people hit a point in their life where they say, I really feel like I need to contribute. And um, NISTI and CMTC as an educator are two ways where your contributions will be respected and valued and are definitely welcomed. Well, we appreciate being part of the conference this year, uh, NHASCD, and I hope we can do more next year to, to really assist. It, it was an honor to be working with all of you for sure. Thank you. You're welcome. Cindy, thank you for spending time after four days of an intense conference to to be here the day after uh, as we turn over to December. Um, it says a lot. So so thank you. Great job. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Well, our mission here at uh, NHASD is to serve as a catalyst for conversation and action to inspire excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. I want to remind you of the KA Math Conference coming up March 22nd of 24. Steve Linewan, Kristen Hilty, Graham Fletcher, Carolyn Worcester, and Kevin Mahoney. You can find links to much of what we talked about on today's show in the show notes. Also on our Spotify podcast page, accessible on the front page of nhasd.org or really in any podcast player. We're everywhere, Apple, Google, Spotify. And you can find us on, I, I like to say, Twitter X, Facebook, and Instagram at NHASCD. I'm Bill Carosa, Executive Director, and we'll see you next time for NHASCD Spotlight. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.